You're listening to Movie Homework, brought to you by the Binge Media Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Another episode of Binge Movie Homework. I'm Jack. I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Chad C. How are you, sir? Hey, buddy. I'm, I'm doing well. Chugging Excellent. through. A little tired, but we're going we're gonna to do this podcast, and it's going to be yeah. amazing. I can feel it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so, uh, we ha- are talking about a movie today that... Uh, it's it's a franchise that I feel like has not gotten a whole lot of love on binge media overall. Um, doesn't really get talked about because I think a lot of people don't give a shit about it very much. It, it weirdly, this franchise and James Bond, uh, I, I don't know, they don't get a whole lot of play on the binge airwaves, and I, I, maybe that's just because we don't have anybody on staff who's like a diehard fan of of Bond. Um, like mm-hmm. I feel like they've come up when they're when the theatrical releases have happened, but. Um, I don't know. These are, you know, the Bond and, and the franchise we're talking about today, Star Trek. Um, God, they got to be two of the oldest and like most well loved, lasting franchises in Hollywood. Um, it's kind of like a weird, a weird blind spot of the site. But um, movie homework can go wherever. So I said, Chad C, how do you feel about talking a little Star Trek? And obviously, I wanted to go with the greatest Star Trek movie in my opinion, which was The Wrath of Khan. Uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, 1982's film. Uh, Let me give you a piece of the trailer, and then we're going to talk this out a little bit. Shoot collapsing, Captain. This is a very nostalgic movie for me. I've grown up with this, but, uh, and, you know, obviously I've, I've got a lot of background in history with Star Trek, um, but Chad, I don't know really a whole lot about what you know for Star Trek, what you've seen, so how how new is this to you? Uh, I watched this for the first time a couple weeks ago. Uh, oh, shit, okay. I, my, I, my, yeah, my history with Star Trek is the the J.J. Uh, Abrams trilogy. Oh, Those okay. are the only three... Three movies I've seen. I've not seen any of the movies. I've obviously seen, you know, bits and pieces of episodes here and there, but I've never watched the series or anything. So this, like you were saying, this is 100% a blind spot for me when it comes to uh, the theatrical films and uh, just the, the IP in general. Gotcha. So, yeah, I, I got I got Space Seed in the episode that leads into this movie, and then I watched the original motion picture and then, then Rathacon. So I've got those right. three checked off the box. So. All right, nice. So we we can actually uh, we can talk about a few different things then. That that's uh, that's that's very nice. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I'll give you the, the the quick spiel on my background with it. I have known of, of the Wrath of Khan forever. My mom grew up with Star Trek. Um, she's been a fan of it ever since she was a little girl. She she grew up watching the show. Always loved the original series. Loved the movies. Liked the next gen movies, but never really got into the series until the last couple of years. I think it, during COVID, she actually watched next gen all the way through, and she kind of fell in love with that too. Um, but yeah, I, I've 
I'm I'm very familiar with the original six movies and, and the next gen ones, but especially the core six original uh, series movies. Um, there's a lot to say about all of them. Um, you know, one of them happens to be considered one of the greatest sci-fi movies uh, ever made. One of them happens to be considered one of the worst sci-fi movies ever made, which is kind of funny. Um, but there's a which lot. Which one is that one? Uh, typically Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Um, okay. That one, I want to say, I think that's directed by Shatner. And oh, really? Okay. <laughs> it's got, so, so there's a lot, there's a lot to say, but, but I think Star Trek has, obviously it has its fans and, you know, we, we reference them all the time, but one of them is Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino is a huge Star Trek fan. Um, I know at one point he was in talks to maybe work. Uh, on a script for a Star Trek movie that would be like one of a one, one of the one-off episodes from back in the day. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen, but um, yeah. you know, Kill Bill starts with Reven- revenge is a dish best served cold, uh, all that stuff. So, um, and and Trek has always had the distinction of being more of like a, a character story than a a plot story. I, I think that's probably the biggest difference between Trek and Wars when you're comparing them. Star Wars is like kind of painting with a really broad brush and and trying to be like high adventure for everybody. You know, it's trying to get everybody to come into the tent and, and you know, see the story. Whereas Star mm-hmm. Trek, it started as a TV show uh, that was funded by Desi Arnaz. So Lucille Ball's company, she was resp- her and in, uh, Desi Lu, uh, Desi Arnaz rather, the Desi Lu Productions. Um, so, so she's actually part of the story too because she was responsible for... I love Lucy, Twilight Zone, and Star Trek. So in terms of, like, you know, cultural significance, Lucille Ball is, like, way, way up there. Um, original show ran for three seasons. Um, some episodes are great. Some are okay. Uh, some, are, some are actually bad. But the legacy of the show is it's just endured for so long that eventually 2001 A Space Odyssey comes out. And... You know, Gene Roddenberry starts thinking, hey, the show's been off the air for, I think at this point it was like 10 years. Let me let me try to make a movie out of it. And they end up going in the direction of Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, so I'm glad that you watched that because I can't really, I, I never rewatched that one. And admittedly, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I probably should rewatch it, but it is the one that that literally never gets watched by me. Okay. As somebody who was coming to this fresh, what did you think of that movie? Uh, it was pretty rough, man. I, yeah. I had a rough time getting through it. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really slow. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I can handle slow movies, but it, it was, it, you know, coming into it new as well, like not really knowing. I mean, I knew the basic characters and stuff, but just not even knowing like yeah it's going clean it was it was it was, it was not not great i did, did yeah. not love it as much i definitely like this one a lot more than that uh but yeah, yeah for i i definitely got i like yeah 2001 vibes from it but it just didn't yeah. really fit it felt like uh it kind of seemed out of place but well yeah. one of my biggest problems the first time that i saw that which was probably before i saw 2001 but I mean, I noticed right away, there's like a 10-minute sequence of a ship docking or like leaving space dock. And it's just, uh-huh. at a certain point, you're like, dude, you gotta trim that down, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But that not a, movie... Not a yeah, yeah, it's not great. But 
that movie's really important because when they go to make The Wrath of Khan, Nicholas Meyer is brought in as, as director, and he's the first person to recognize, like, okay, we can't do what you did in the first movie because it didn't work. Like, it's, I can't, you know, basically it was kind of a miracle that they even got the money together from a studio to make a second one of these. But immediately, he, he brings in the whole idea of the ship as almost like a naval vessel, you know, and... The idea mm-hmm. of addressing officers on the deck is, you know, Mr. Spock, Mr. Sulu, Mr. Savick. Like, it's it's gender non-binary, ironically, uh, back in the 80s. But, um, yeah, but yeah. it changed the way that all of that kind of operated. You know, the original series was very much... Cal- it was supposed to be like a Western in space. And it was made like that in a sci-fi respect, but they built the characters in such a way that they had really good chemistry with one another... And so that they can make the show as cheaply as possible so that they could offer like a little bit of an adventure, but also a, a lot of scenes of characters in a room talking and trying to figure out a problem. Um, the whole idea behind Trek and Starfleet is, you you know, people. it's supposed to be that the human race has evolved to the point where there's no more war, there's no more currency, and it's just about exploring space and just making a better universe. And... A lot of that kind of comes through in in the show, but I think in the movies they they sort of evolve the story in in interesting ways. That first movie, notwithstanding, um, I I do think that the first movie is just like a it's just a dud. It doesn't look very good to me, and yeah, it's just boring. Um, <laughs> yep. Now, you know, Nicholas Meyer comes in and he's brought on board to make this movie, and I, I think he's a co writer as well, isn't he? Um, let me look that up quick. Uh, yeah, on yeah, no, he's not on the. Okay. Gene Roddenberry, Jack B. Sowards, and Harv Bennett are the the three writers credited. Interesting. Okay, you know, no, no, he's okay. So he's uncredited on the screenplay, but he's uh he's on the. Okay, because I'm so. I'm pretty. I wish I looked this up beforehand, but I'm almost positive that he was the first person to introduce the idea of trying to tie this movie into the series somehow, like taking a villain from the series and continuing the story. And when they looked back at the series to, to see what the most popular episodes were, you know, they came up with like the trouble with Tribbles, but you can't really, I I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but Tribbles are these like Mm -hmm. little furry creatures. Uh, They don't have faces or anything, but essentially they get on the ship and then they start multiplying instantly. And they almost, they, they start taking over the ship and, it's kind of a silly idea, but it's it's one of the more iconic ones. Um, obviously, you see the Klingons in the original series. You see the Romulans. You see a bunch of different species. The Gorn is in the series. There's the famous uh, episode where Kirk fights the Gorn on like a cliffside. He's this giant lizard-looking monster. Yeah, okay. Um, I've seen that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but they, they kind of honed in on Space Seed as having one of the best uh, actors that they ever had on the series. And maybe they could do something with that. Um, so just to set the table, the plot of Space Seed is pretty simple. Um, Kirk and the crew are traveling through space and and it's season one. So Chekhov isn't there yet. That's, that's one distinction. And it's actually almost a plot hole, but I'll explain in a second why it might not be. Mm -hmm. Chekhov isn't on the show yet, but, um, but the rest of the crew is, and they come across this, this vessel that I think it has like a beacon or distress signal on it. They beam aboard, look at the vessel, they find, I think, 74 uh, pods, essentially, with people in them. 
that look like they're in some sort of like cryogenic stasis sleep. And one of them in particular that looks like he might be the leader. So they bring beam the leader over to their ship and uh, wake him up. And it turns out that it's Khan Noonien Singh, who was this uh, genetically modified, perfect soldier and ruler on Earth, who was part of the, ironically, the 1997 eugenics wars over uh, genetically perfect beings, kind of like a Gattaca situation. Um, and Space Seed resolves with, you know, Khan needs a world to conquer. He wants to take over the Enterprise. He wants to dominate everything. But Kirk and the crew find a solution where they find a hospitable planet that has nothing on it. And it rather than put Khan and his people before a court-martial and take them back to Starfleet, um, you know, part of Star Trek's whole concept is the prime directive. Prime directive is you're not supposed to affect any civilization or or have like a uh, an effect that would have a consequence on on a civilization uh, naturally so i think in one of the abrams movies it'd be it, the shitty one the, the the middle one it starts with like kirk and spock stopping a volcano from blowing up or something um a lot of t- star trek fans hate that movie like right from the beginning because they're not supposed to do that like that's just part of the rules but you know abrams so fucking whatever but uh, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so, so basically they give Khan his own planet, and they, I think it's like the last uh, line of the episode. Spock says, you know, I wonder, you know, if we could revisit this seed that you have planted here and sp- out here to see what fruit the tree will bear, or something along those lines, and then it cuts to credits. Um, that is never referenced again in the series, but they pick it up here for the movie. Um, you got... Uh, I'm I'm really glad that you watched what you did because you got the series, you got the first movie, and you got the second movie, and I feel like all three of them are a bit different. What was your take mm-hmm. on Space Seed? Uh, I feel like I don't know. I going into it now, watching it, I don't know if it would like. I, I don't think I'm going to go back and watch the series sure. uh, after the one episode because uh, sure. you know it, it just it, it's right. It's just not something that i grew up with either so that was a little rough but i mean yeah con he's he's great uh, i think he's a really good performer so i mean he kind of steals the that whole episode obviously so um but overall yeah i think wrath of con here this is like more my speed of yeah what i like essentially wanted from this uh from mm-hmm. star trek in general so and, and i love the runtime for this too it's like hour 53 it's like try i was doing some reading that yeah like you were saying he Meyer came in and like they wanted to essentially like make it more of a like in line with the the camaraderie of the series and everything which the first one just didn't feel like that so right uh yeah that's just kind of where my my head's at but yeah I, I mean the great thing about Wrath of Khan you know love it or hate it from this point forward Star Trek in my opinion really hits its stride like I I grew up more with the movies than the series so for me, Wrath of Khan was always the introduction point, and then the movies afterwards, and then eventually I, I kind of doubled back, and you know, I, like okay. I said, I, I think I've seen the motion picture like maybe twice. It's it's not great, but but the other movies, despite the fact that the fifth is on like the IMDb hundred worst movies of all time, uh, or at least it was at one point, um, I think that they all have something to offer. Um, one of the funny things about this franchise is that people tend to agree that the even-numbered movies are good and the odd-numbered movies are not as good, we'll say. Um, 
But we're not here to talk about all these movies. We're here to talk about Wrath of Khan. So <laughs> I, you know, I, I could I could say a lot about this, but I kind of want to hear what you felt in terms of the characters in this story. Again, you're coming here without much baggage at all. Um, mm-hmm. You got an idea of who these characters were, you know, from the series, from the first movie. And Trek, all the different iterations of Trek, you got to have great characters. How did you feel about the characters and the chemistry between, like, the main crew in this? I mean, DeForest Kelly's Bones, he's by far my favorite character. Uh, I think him and Kirk's relationship, the the camaraderie those two have, like, even, you know, Kirk's dealing with, like, this kind of crisis and his birthday, and he wants to be back out and exploring, and he's kind of grounded, and just their back and forth of that I thought was really great. Um, Yeah, I, I really like all, I mean... You know, oh my, George Takai. I mean, of course, right. he's good as Dulu. And Chekhov is, is a really good character. I think, yeah, that that core group is... I, I don't have any complaints with any of them, really. Like, where do you fit? Like, who's your favorite character And as far as it goes? I, I mean, I can tell you who my least favorite are, and it, it it's just by a slim margin, but I care less about Sulu and Uhura and Chekhov mm-hmm. than I do about, you know, Spock, Bones, Kirk, and Scotty. Um, Mm -hmm. but part of the strength of the great Star Trek stories are the ones that find a way to use the whole crew and they do a good job in these movies with making sure that everybody has a part to play. It's one of the things I really loved about Star Trek Beyond. You know, I I liked the first Abrams movie well enough. The second one I absolutely fucking hate and you probably understand why after watching this. Um, (laughs) That movie is just a gigantic piece of fucking shit. Um, But the third one, Beyond, I think is the best of those movies because it's the only one that feels like Star Trek. It feels like the whole crew has something to do. The story doesn't revolve around like uh, some like forced love story. They're trying to get out of a situation. It's, It's very situational. Felt like felt like Trek, you know? Um, yeah, it's the thing that I love most about about this series in general. That when when Trek is great, it's about working together as a team, and that team is comprised of intelligent people, but they're not all carbon copies of one another. You know, there's there are things that Uhura knows, being a linguist and a translator, that Spock would have an idea of, but wouldn't necessarily understand. Um, in the same way that say like Bones has his medical background, but also his like kind of fatalism and, you know, great sense of humor that helps a lot to play off of, you know, Sulu sometimes or, or, or Spock. Um, I mean, I can't say enough about, you know, Leonard Nimoy. This is obviously, this is the greatest role he ever played. Um, it, it, he, his whole career was defined by Spock, but he, he was, mm-hmm. he was fantastic. Like it's just, a completely unique performance that, you know, I know they've cast Spock a few times since him. I mean, nobody's been able to touch this. It's just, it's just an untouchable character. They probably never should have tried, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah. and, um, I, I have to, I have to admit, um, I think wrath of Khan Shatner is really good in this. I know he gets a lot of shit for his acting skills. I would never put him on a list of like greatest actors or anything along those lines, but I think he absolutely nails this one. And, and you know, maybe if you decide to ever watch some of the other movies, I think you'll see the difference with some of his other performances. Um, this one is, okay. this one's really dialed in uh, compared mm-hmm. to some of the other stuff. So, 
got a so, great intro in this this uh this movie so <laughs> that just opening with him just standing in the the light there yeah <laughs> comes yeah. Right it's a whole this i mean there's so much about this movie it's a whole different ball of game than the first one you know I and mean, they, they just kind of i feel like meyer understands the the iconography of star trek better with this movie and knows that the ships are great and the spectacle's fine but like it's the characters like you, you need to nail the characters and then you know build a decent story around them but mm-hmm. um so gotta talk about Khan. um I have seen over the years folks who have a problem with the con performance because they feel it's too over the top. Mm-hmm. I have always had a certain opinion about it. I kind of want to know what you thought of Montalban and is this actually is this like the first thing you've seen him in? Yeah, I think I had never watched The Love Boat, right? That's just what it's most famous from, um, I think. It's the other one. It's <laughs> or- uh it's oh, love uh, Low Island, Fantasy, Fantasy Island, Fantasy Island. Yeah, God, Jesus Christ, hold on, exhausted. Uh, no, I've never seen that, but he, he is. Yeah, I mean, he, he, of course, that, that is a super melodramatic performance. But I think that's why, why I I liked it because I mean, I'm not taking this that serious, but he's yeah, he's just he's got this fucking giant ass chest all yes. puffed out, and yes. uh, he's just yeah, very campy. But I mean, I, I dug it. Yeah, I, I didn't have an issue with it. I thought it was a pretty fun, fun performance. I I, I don't know if like. Yeah, because I was reading some stuff too. Like he's, I don't know. He's just very menacing. Like that, he's very like right. he just is so set out to just he can't get over <laughs> the Kirk infatuation. Right. But I don't know if he's like intimidating necessarily for me. But he's, I don't know. It's yeah, I have no issues with the performance. So where where do you stand? I mean, I I love it. It's it, I, again, it's tough for me because like I've grown up with this movie, but I I uh-huh. absolutely love Khan. I think he's hilarious. Um, yeah, he's funny. Is is he scary? Probably not. And and the older I get, the more it it just looks like God. This guy just like like just just listen to your second in command. Like just go in the other direction, yeah. dude. Like uh-huh. yeah. you don't need to do shit. But but you know he's a you got the genesis. <laughs> exactly. He's like, yeah, um, let, me, let me give you a piece of, of some con right here. Here we go. They're still running with shields down. Of course. We are one big happy fleet. Ah, Kirk, my old friend. Do you know the Klingon proverb that tells us revenge is a dish that is best served cold? It is very cold. In space. <laughs> I mean, that's what else do you want? You know, <laughs> it's so fun. It, it it's just a fun movie to watch. Um, I I love what he brings to it. I mean, there's so many. I love the the uh, the literary references. I mean, apparently Meyer, when he hired Montalban for the movie, he gave him a copy of Moby Dick, and he's like, "Look, this is what we're going for. Read this, know it." And he ended up integrating it into the script, like his last lines of the movie, you know, from hell's heart, I stab it, like all that stuff. So good. Yep. So good. Um, absolutely iconic. Love it. Um, so one thing I brought up earlier. Uh, so in Space Seed, there's no Chekhov. And yet, the beginning of this movie, Chekhov is down on a planet that they don't they don't know what it is. They're kind of exploring he sees the name Botany Bay and it clues him into a memory that he has of the 
space seed situation because Botany Bay was the colony that they were going to go and build on SETI Alpha Five. One of them, one of them explodes. They're on five and yes. six explodes. Five. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yes. SETI Alpha yes. Five is the planet. Um, so he gets there and he immediately recognizes the it from from Space Seed, but he wasn't on the crew then. So this is one of those things that's like it's kind of trekky lore and a little bit of bullshit, but part of being an ensign on a starship is when you join aboard that starship, it's your responsibility to know the history of that starship before you got there. So people try to argue. They're like, oh, no, well, you know, check off. You know, he's, a, he's, a, he's an officer, so obviously he would know about that. It's like, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> a little weak. A little weak. Yeah. But, um, but so other things about this movie that I, I think are really interesting. It's kind of like I said before. I think the best track is situational, and I think it is all about a mission or a a uh, directive of some kind that needs to happen and, and doesn't take a long, expansive time. You never see a Star Trek story that is over the course of like months or years unless it deals with, with some kind of time travel. It's, it's always like, okay, what is wrong today? Or like, what planet do we need to explore today? And then tomorrow there will be something else. Um I like that this is a bit of a chase movie and it, you know, the, the, the vessels are, are like slow moving, but they find enough ways to make that interesting. Um, and, and keep you, I don't want to say on the edge of your seat, but this movie has a little bit of a thriller aspect to it. And I, I think that kind of, you know, not to, not to, to get too ahead of myself, but I think that does actually hold up it, the, the overall plot of this movie holds up so well that the recent third season of Picard that, that uh, kind of fixed the show, it was heavily influenced by Wrath of Khan. So they, they kind of used similar beats to build another great Trek story out of that. So kind of tried and true stuff, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, of... think, I think that's... Oh, no, no, go for it. No, no, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think that's what I like the most about this movie is it's so simple. Like, it really is. It's just... Yeah, the, the they're trying to protect Genesis, Khan's chasing them, and then, you know, they're locked in at that point. So it's just like, there, there's not a lot of fat at all in this movie, and it's right. just really quick moving and just gets right to the point, so. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah I think it's one be. of its strengths, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some stories later on in the series that get a little complicated. Final Frontier, in particular, is, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's the story of this Vulcan fanatic i guess he's basically a terrorist named cybok turns out that cybok is like the one one of spock's brothers or like half brother or something and cybok is on a quest to find god or what he thinks is god and that's the movie very interesting concept for a movie yeah you know, like i said if you ever watch these you can you can be the judge for yourself like i'm okay with the movie but a lot of people hate it um i okay. fully agree i fully recognize it's not great like one of the things they wanted to do with it was get Sean Connery to play the the god, uh, like like presence, and they couldn't get him, but they still named it the god of Shakari. <laughs> so <laughs> some some hokey shit in there, but but um, again, it's another one where even like the worst one, it still is okay. This is a mission we got to go and try and do the mission kind of thing. Um, so other elements of this movie that are are. I don't know, interesting to me. The, the whole idea of the Genesis Project, the 
Kirk having a son that he doesn't really know. Um, you know, the, the doctor, Carol, whatever her name is, um, and Kirk, of course, like he had a fling with her. He basically banged every green yeah. woman he found in the series. So <laughs> totally checks out. Um, this was the first thing I ever saw, um, Kirstie Alley in too. And uh, yeah. I didn't know if, uh, well, I know that she, she actually passed recently, but I don't really know her from much. Obviously she was on Cheers, the Look Who's Talking movies in this. I, I, I don't, I don't remember her from much else. Maybe there's like a Tim Allen movie in there somewhere, but, um, yeah, for richer or poorer. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> She is one of the things in this movie that, like, it's nice to have a face, but I don't think that she's particularly good in it. Um, yeah. This character in particular shows up in the next movie via a different actress, and I think that actress nails the part a lot better than Kirstie Alley does. Um, particularly, there's a scene late in the movie where you can see her with, like, tears welling up in her eyes, and Vulcan don't do that. It, it's just... I don't know. It, it doesn't mm. doesn't work for me, but uh, you know, it could, it could be worse. I'll say that much. But you're jumping to my you're jumping to my superlatives already. Oh that, shit! That, that, she is my she is my casting swap. So Oh, I bet you I know who you're gonna fucking choose too. Now that I think about it, but we'll we'll get there. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh. Um. So other things that I, I don't know. It, it, we're kind of dancing around the third act of this movie a little bit. I kind of want to dance a little bit longer just because I have some other questions for you. Um, okay. So, the Enterprise and the overall aesthetic of the series uh, across the, the show and the movies that you saw, it's a lot different than what we get in Star Wars. You know, Star Wars is is kind of high octane, a lot of, uh, a lot of fast motion, uh, a lot yep. more explosions, even though Khan has its share. I really like the aesthetic in Star Trek because it offers something very different. But what did you feel about that? Did you, just in general, like, do you see more positive out of the way that Star Wars does it versus Star Trek? Or, I don't know, where, where do you fall in, in that whole conversation? After yeah, I mean, this? I just feel like, I don't know, Star Wars to me is feels a little more cinematic like mm. th this I don't, I, obviously the, i have a way longer history with that uh and sure. this, i've seen two movies of this um so yeah this just felt more grounded in, in that way but yeah like the aesthetic of of the enterprise i think that it's cool looking uh jumping into the superlatives later I, some of the effects of course i'm not gonna judge it's an, an 1982 sci-fi movie sure. obviously effects have you know gotten a lot better <laughs> since then yeah. but yeah. some of that was a little cheesy but i mean that's part of its charm too i think uh yeah i mean i i, I don't know yeah I, I probably would stick more so i just feel like this is more of uh not quite as cinematic for me i don't know this is where i was at the first two uh, yeah, i got you watches I got you. so I think one of the things um, that I've really loved about Star Trek versus other sci-fi from the time is the fact that it, it looks like a real movie. I, I know that's kind of an odd statement, but you know, sometimes like we watched Dark Star a couple of years ago, right? Or mm -hmm. um, other sci-fi movies like a Logan's Run or something. Those all have a very specific kind of like I am a sci-fi movie look to them. Even though yep. Trek has creatures and phasers and, you know, beaming on board and all that stuff, it's always felt very 
very like clean and and very I don't know, just just professional. Like like easier to digest yeah. than some of that other stuff, you know? Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Um I the one so okay, so one the one part of the story that I thought was kind of cheesy in like didn't like was the the whole which i'm assuming this has more going forward in the later movies with uh kirk's son that whole subplot david yeah uh what what was really the point of introducing mm. that because it didn't necessarily feel like it went which i'm assuming three does the three pick up with him more so involved or uh so david is in star trek three um, okay. And, and, you know, uh, spoiler alert on the title here, Star Trek three, the search for Spock. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, David is a character. Well, um, it's, okay. uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, what do I say here? David is the worst part of the wrath of Khan. Um, it, it's, <laughs> okay. it's, it, it's not a particularly interesting performance. It doesn't really add anything to the movie and it goes yeah, nowhere. That's... Um, uh-huh. it also really, you know, not this doesn't spoil anything for the third movie, but after you see what is done with that character, you're you'll even wonder more. Like, what the? Why did they set this up? Um, I, I think that one of the problems is that uh, the third movie is directed by Leonard Nimoy. You know, so they go from Nicholas Meyer to Leonard Nimoy, and I think actually Leonard Nimoy directs three and four. Now that I think about it. Um, then they move back to Shatner, and then Meyer comes back for six. Uh, okay. If you ask most people, they will tell you the best original Star Trek movies are two, four, and six. Sometimes swapping, you know, it for like two, six, and four. Um, Star Trek three, I really like. It's got a great villain in it. It's got an interesting story and kind of a clever way to. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll say, uh, bring characters back, we'll say. Um, but it also has some weird stuff related to, uh, David. So I'll leave it at that. Um, yeah, I do recommend I at some point you check it out because I think you would, you okay. would enjoy it if you liked this one. So, okay. Yeah. I, I, the David thing more just so felt like, you know, Kirk is, is kind of doing that midlife crisis type thing and then he's introduced and it's like all the pondering i don't know it just kind of felt forced that's where i was like eh, all right i could do without that because yeah i did like you said it didn't add anything to the movie at all or really any stakes or anything for him particularly it didn't seem like but yeah the ironic thing about the movies is that the the best the the first movie where they really hit their stride the story is oh we're all too old to be doing this and yet we're still doing it and that's like mm-hmm. that continues for five movies which is kind of funny um, okay. but yeah, the, I don't know. I feel like if Meyer had maybe made the third movie, there would have been something else worth, uh, adding to that plot line, but there, there really isn't. It doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Um, all right. So diving into the third act. So I have grown up with this movie. I've said that a few times and my mom really stressed to me the first time I saw it, how emotional of a movie this was for her and, and her friends when they, when they saw it for the first time. Um, you know, what, what happens with Spock and being at a time where franchises and bringing back characters was not the norm. Um, you had a character that had been around for over 20 years 
that finally met his demise in this like incredibly heroic and and uh and in emotional way um i really still love this movie and love the end of this movie um I think that everything that happens with Khan is great, but for me, the last 20 minutes are what make it what it is. Um, but somebody who doesn't have that history, I've been wondering whether or not you even give a shit about what happens to Spock in this movie. Um, no, not really. Uh, I, I, I knew he was in other movies, so I think yeah. there I've seen that scene before. Of course, you see that through the glass, like the, the two of them. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it, it didn't necessarily because, like I said, I, I had that note going in knowing he's in the rest of the movies. So yeah, it didn't really have that effect on me. But I can imagine, yeah, yeah it, pr- it probably did for people that were current with this at the time and they killed right. off Spock. I'm sure people were <laughs> pretty pissed. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's... I, I, this is where, again, for, for me, the things that I remember most about this movie, it's, it, you know, pretty much every scene with Khan in it. And then it's it's the last it's the last 20 minutes because of Shatner. Because I really feel like Shatner, he kind of nails it, you know? He, he acts with this, like, weight on his shoulders. And, you know, of all the sal- souls that I've encountered, his was, his was the most human. You know, that was always the core of Spock's character. His half-human, half-Vulcan heritage being a struggle for him, you know? And mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's still, I think is like just a great emotional beat to end the movie on. Um, I don't know. It still, still works for me. He, despite knowing, uh, you know, that he's not going for long. So <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it's effective. I mean, it, just for me personally. Yeah. But like, yeah, when, when, uh, Scotty and them are holding him back, Shatner there, I mean, yeah, he's great in that scene. So yeah. Yeah. That, that whole, ship out of danger stuff you know it's like oh god it uh-huh. fucking kills me oh my god he's blind he can't even fucking see the the, the window he's walking into he hits his head it's just uh-huh. like, oh god oh, yeah it's rough stuff rough stuff you won't find any of that shit in a star wars movie but i, I love star wars too. <laughs> yeah. um all right so i think it's time i think uh maybe we need to start handing out some superlatives here because we may have already spoiled one or two for each other so uh let's get it going Here's the Kupka. That's that, dude! Uh, this is the cameo or the scene-stealing performance. Um, I'm going to let you go first on this one. So mine is uh, Terrell, Mr. Paul Winfield, who uh, is the cameo. He's, uh, of course, Ed Traxler from Terminator. He's the fucking yes. detective in that movie. It's like instantly like, oh, my God, the Terminator guy. Um, so, yeah, that's my my uh, cameo. What about you? Excellent, excellent. So I, I went with a scene-stealer instead of a cameo here. Um it's easy to say Khan because he does, he owns every scene. But for me, it's Bones. It's DeForest Kelly. Mm. Uh, he's just, and I know it's not even in this movie, but since we were talking about Space Seed, I, I, I'm always reminded of his great lines. Like, Khan uh, wakes up, grabs a scalpel, lays down, and, like, grabs Bones' throat and holds a scalpel up to his neck. And Bones, without missing a beat, he just says, well, either uh, choke me or slit my throat. Make up your mind. You know? <laughs> like, doesn't give a fuck. Love me some fucking Bones McCoy. Uh, all right. This is the uh, the valley. Well, fucking on, what it, the fuck? It, Most punchable face. I don't think there's going to be a surprise here. It is David. Uh, it is easily, his name. Easily. His real name is Merritt Buttrick. I mean, Buttrick, yeah. God damn. Oh, that's just a bad role. 
Uh, I'm assuming he was yours as well. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, David Kirk's son are my notes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's tough not to, man. Oh, that's a that's a bad one. All right, yeah. uh, and here we've got the Ammon. Tell me something about something I was reading about. All right, this is the best quote. What do you got? So, it's not. A, I guess it is a quote, but it's just I've always seen that as well. The when Kirk he's getting ready to get beamed back up, and it's like the I don't like to lose the way he does, and then he bites the apple. This oh, yeah. fucking it's pretty. Yeah, that, that's where I went with. Uh, what about you? All right, so I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat slightly because I have a sounder for one that needs to be played if we're talking about Wrath of Khan, and then I'm gonna give you my actual answer. So yeah, <laughs> let me give you this. I've heard you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her, marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. You don't get better than that, you know? Uh, you know, that's the most memeable fucking thing in Star Wars, Star Trek. Oh, but, yeah. uh, but if it's for me, and I'm picking one quote, it's actually one that I use at work all the time. Uh, ironically, during the situation I told you about pre-show last week, but uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Uh, mm. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Nope. All right, and uh, we got the Chad C here. I know this is a hot take. And did I fuck this up? I think I did. I fucked up one of the categories. I'm sorry. Give me one second here. Uh, what do you have for the Chad C? So I have two. Cheating a little bit. Uh, I think the, the, inter- the first interaction with uh, Enterprise and the uh, the Reliant, just that them figuring out who is who and you know disabling the shield that's a pretty good tense scene uh but the uh the really the intro to Khan with uh Chekhov and uh Terrell the whole the eel larvae or whatever going in the ears oh, yeah. and stuff that scene that scene's pretty great i thought it was pretty entertaining just the the back and forth with that so yeah what about you um yeah so sorry entertaining scene here i, I, I there's a lot I, i'm very entertained by this movie i, I think if i made a list of just like the maybe not my favorite movies, but like the the most entertaining ones, this would probably be near the top of the list for me. It's just very watchable for me. Um, mm-hmm. If I gotta pick one, I do love Khan's final scene. You know, from hell's heart I stab at thee, for hate's sake I spit my last breath at thee. You know, all that. <laughs> it's, that's oh, yeah. operatic for no fucking reason. Like all you <laughs> yeah. gotta do is turn the ship around dog like you're you're good like you the hubris the goddamn fucking hubris <laughs> oh man all right the tm i mean wow what's held up the best or worst let me throw it back to you you got anything for this yeah i, I already kind of touched on it. just the, the effects I'm, i don't want to be nitpicky but I, I, I there wasn't much for me to go from here with i, I thought everything aged pretty well uh but yeah, yeah just the effects aren't great but what do you yeah do? I put the same thing. The effects, I think some of the tech is starting to look like it, it, it aged, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe one or two of the uh, the consoles, uh, yeah, you know, maybe maybe like a couple less lights would, would have done them a solid here. And there, mm. but, um, but as far as what holds up, I, 
I said it before, I'll say it again. I still think that Spock's death holds up incredibly well. Um, and I think that Shatner's performance, it, it has really stood the test of time. Only other thing I'll mention is I think the overall aesthetic of this movie, I think it, it may have even like saved the franchise. Um, Meyer recognizing that a lot of what was in the first flick didn't work and needed to change, it really set the tone for everything going forward. And I think it, it's directly responsible for the kind of resurgence of Trek through Next Generation, which most people who are huge Trek fans will tell you is better than the original series. So, um, so yeah. All right. Uh, next we've got Pete MC, which is the best use of music. Uh, we played it in one of the sounders earlier when, uh, he says, "Revenge is a dish best served cold. It is very cold in space." And it's just like, boom, 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 boom. That stuff is fantastic on a surround sound system. I say that from personal experience. But Chad, uh, did you have any other moments that uh, maybe stood out music-wise for you? I mean, I just went basic. I just went with the main opening theme. I think it's pretty good. It's just, just good. Fucking yes. intros to the movie. It's, it's boring, but it, it's effective. So that's where I went. Trek has a storied history of fantastic uh, in introduction music. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the, the original series is a little hokey, but the next-gen intro is amazing. Uh, the first Contact uh, score is incredible. This score is incredible. Undiscovered Country is great. Um, and some of the more modern stuff has some great music, too. So uh, no, no surprise there. But All right. Uh, next, we've got the PJ. Dynamite <laughs> drop-in, Monty. All right, so this is casting swap. Uh, so I know I kind of like half spoiled it earlier. Didn't mean to do that, but what, what do you got? <laughs> it happens. Uh, I, I didn't want to be. I didn't want to get the Trekkies all pissed at me, so I wasn't even going to touch the uh, the cast, the original cast. So yeah, I went with the newer character, Chrissy Alley. Uh, I, I looked at actresses around the time, and I think Karen Allen should have been coming off of Raiders in this role. Give it a little more. Uh, a little, just better acting. I'm not a big Kirstie Alley fan. R.I.P. Yeah, she did pass away in December of last year, but yeah, that's that's where I went. Where okay. where are you at? See, now I thought you were going to say Kim Cattrall, to which I was going to say <laughs> just just keep watching the movies because she does show up in one of them. So, ah, um, okay. Um, yeah. So I went in a different direction. Um, David, we need a different David. We need this character <laughs> to potentially have a shot. Uh, Merritt Buttrick is not going to cut the mustard. So uh, I didn't have a good answer for this because I feel like you still want the character to have kind of crazy curly hair and just maybe up the profile of who you cast. So then it got me thinking, hmm, all right, who could pull this off? Could it be Tom Selleck? Eh, it's a little too masculine and he'd probably be a little bit too old. Um, could it be like a Don Johnson? Maybe. Maybe, but I feel like that would clash too much with the whole Miami Vice thing. Mm, yeah. And then it occurred to me, I don't even particularly like this actor, but it just feels like this is who they wanted to cast, and they settled for Merritt Buttrick. Um, <laughs> I think this is a Steve Gutenberg part. Uh, mm, okay. I, I think he could do it. I think he'd have the right hair. He'd maybe be the right age. and I don't know. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I like it. I mean, anyone's better than Merritt Buttrick, so yeah, yeah, throw him in there. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, it's a low bar, but I'll take it. Um, <laughs> all right, and final one, extra credit. If we were going to swap somebody in the movie out for a binge staffer, 
who would it be? Um, so I thought about this quite a bit, and I love the original cast, but you got to swap somebody in the original cast with a bench staffer. So then it's okay. Who who are you going to put in there? Who's going to have the hardest time dealing with the shit going on around him? And you know, you can swap Spock, but the, nah, you can't. You can't swap Spock. You can't swap Kirk. You can't swap Bones. So then it becomes all right. What about Chekhov? Right? Like Chekhov has just enough going on in this movie where a change would be interesting and could produce some uh, some comedy. And honestly, the only one that makes sense for Chekhov is Ammon. I mean, think about it. The scene where the fucking worms are crawling into his head. What the fuck is happening right now? You know, yep. all that stuff. I mean, it's perfect. Perfect. I like it. I like yeah. it. Uh, so I didn't. Uh, I didn't go with uh, swapping someone. I I just went with me personally. I want to be okay. one of the the trainees with with Kirstie Alley's crew, Spock's helping train, and I would try to sneak into. Uh, Bones is stashed to get some of that illegal Romulan ale. I need oh, to try some yeah. of that. So that's where I'm at. I was like, just throw me in here. I'll be a trainee. <laughs> give me give me that ale. I'm good. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know, I, so there's a company that makes all of the Star Trek uh, alcohol, um, like the, the Romulan ale, uh-huh. uh, Picard's wine, and they sell it through their website. So you can actually get those glass bottles. I, I looked it up, and it was like $200, $250 for a, a couple bottles of Romulan ale. So then I went to Etsy and I was like, all right, maybe somebody just makes these. How much is the bottle? Dude wanted $95 just for the bottle. And it's like, ah, oh, so maybe someday. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would love to have a bottle of Romulan ale in my collection. <laughs> yeah. It's so pretty cool. cool. Um, all right, man. Well, I think we've said a lot. Probably haven't said it all, but uh, there's a, there's a well, lot to track. Hold on. Hold on. Let's, do it. You want to do some box office before we, yeah, we get to our final it. ratings? And... Sure. Okay. So... Yeah, this was the number eight grossing movie of 1982. It made $78 million on an $11 million budget. Right uh, right above Poltergeist at number nine. This is number eight. So this actually released also the same day as Poltergeist, and then a week later, E.T., two weeks after that, Blade Runner and The Thing. So it was a stacked yeah. June of 82 that year. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty always cool to see. A lot of great sci-fi in the year 82. So I want to say... It may have even been last year. I think Alamo Drafthouse did something with the summer of 1982. I think mm-hmm. they played a bunch of the same movies on the same weekends where they opened. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, yeah. It's an, it's a crazy it's a crazy year for blockbusters. Um, yeah, so much good stuff in '82. And I'm always glad when you see like you know mo- like movies that made us or something, and they talk about 1982. Wrath of Khan is always like. It's always mentioned amongst all those other greats, so I'm glad uh-huh. that this movie's really loved and respected the way that it is. But yeah, but yeah. Um, all right, so yeah, we, we've said a lot. Um, I hope that we have more opportunities to talk Trek in the future because I, I do think there's a lot to offer with with this this franchise and this like film series. Um, and yeah, it's just really entertaining stuff, and I think they've made more good movies than bad ones. So um, we'll see. Maybe another one down the road, a bit, mm-hmm. but. Um, sure. All right, so so final grades here. Um, you know, I'm not going to bury the lead. This is an A, a for me. Um, it, it, there's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in that rating. I I fully acknowledge that, but uh, yeah, this is just like a, a a reference point for me, and um, 
yeah, I, I've I've always loved this movie. I continue to love this movie. So it's it's an A. What, what do you think? Awesome. This will be a B for me. Um, I, I, de- I definitely like this movie, and I think yeah, I'm, I'm super happy to finally have checked these, th- at least the first two off, and I think I will. I'll watch at least the rest of this core uh, film series. Just, you know, I, I can't... Completionist cannot just only watch two and then not the rest, but yeah, I, I was... I'm glad, uh, yeah, because like you said, this is always in that list of, you know, the best movies of... Sci-fi movies of 82 and this, this. I'm, I'm glad that I can finally check it off the docket and get it watched. It was, it was a very good watch, and uh, Excellent. Yeah, I had a good time, so... Excellent. Yeah, if you uh, if you're gonna watch all these, keep me posted because I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, in case you ever want to do a uh, you know another Trek podcast, let me know. So. Absolutely. All right. So um, for next time, uh, we were chatting about this, and we ha- you know we have a running list of some movies. It's got some suggestions from a few folks on there too. So I think maybe in a couple of weeks we'll start addressing a few of those. But uh, yeah, th- this one. Uh, I think both of us had this on our initial list of uh, stuff to watch. Um, but, uh, Chad, what are, what are we doing for the next film? Yes, so we're going to go back to 92, one of my favorite filmmakers, Underseen Light Sleeper from Paul Schrader. So we've got Willem Dafoe, Susan Sarandon. And yeah, should be good. He's got a new movie coming out, Master Gardener, this week, actually. So we don't want to date it, but yeah, it's it kind of coincides. And yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be good talk. So. One thing that is absolutely hilarious about Paul Schrader movies at this point is every one of them pretty much has the exact same poster. It looks like it always has the same trailer. And based on everything I've seen from Paul Schrader, I pretty much know exactly what the movie is going into it, but I still end up liking them. So credit to that guy, you know? (laughs) That's right. Yeah, the lone the lonely man writing in a journal. Absolutely, it's a yeah. thing. (laughs) Yeah, he's consistent. I'll give him that. But absolutely. All right, well, uh, if you want to reach us, bingemoviehomework at gmail.com. You can send us messages there, suggestions, comments, anything you like. Uh, You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, and Facebook at Binge Media. Five bucks a month on Patreon gets you the full binge and obviously all of the other perks that come along with being a patron. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. We will be back in a couple of weeks. And until then, Chad, you got anything else? Nothing. All right. Uh, Oh, last thing. Lollapalooza, August 4th, 5th, and 6th. Make sure you're there. And, uh, yeah. All right. I'm saying peace. See you. Thank you for listening to Movie Homework, a Binge Media production. Follow the Binge Media Podcast Network at bingemedia.com, patreon.com slash bingemedia, or wherever you get podcasts. Got a movie suggestion? An award suggestion? Send us an email at bingemoviehomework at gmail.com. Bingemedia.